0: Amen. How about them Red Raiders blowing that lead again? Let's go. Let's go. Come on. We love it. Yeah. We love it. Do you what? No, Caden, we can't turn it on. We're not going to turn it on. All right, guys, welcome to College Gathering. So glad that you guys are with us tonight. If we have not met yet, my name is Cody, and I'm super glad to be with y'all. Okay, so over the past couple weeks, there has been a lot of new people. So we're going to do something that we haven't done. Since last semester, you know what I'm about to ask. Yes, there's some excitement. So stand up, take just a second, meet somebody that you do not know, get connected, invite them to your GC, and we'll come back in just a second. Hey, do you like that? What? Do you like that? I was telling you to get off because you said... Oh, in that lead again. Oh, yeah. It's in our favor now. You have it on? Yeah. No, do not watch it on your phone. I'm not watching it on my phone. My phone's on. Pay attention. Hey, blowing, being uh, uh, down is actually good for us. What's up, boys? Cody? Yeah, what's your name? Tanner. Tanner, nice to meet you, man. You? Hey, what's your name? Oh. Just kidding. How do y'all know each other? Hello? How do y'all know each other? We just met two minutes ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, literally just two minutes ago? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that's great. I, I don't think they can hear me. Yeah. Could you... Here, is that better? Okay, great. That's great. Tanner, how did you, how long have you been coming to Redeemer? How long? I went here once, like a year ago. Okay, See so you back. Yeah. Gotcha. I awesome, was in college ministry, so I was like, i got to try it out. Do what? Petersburg doesn't have anything. Oh, gotcha. It's a Do you, real small, local church. Yeah. Okay. Right on, you? Where are you from originally? I mean, all over Texas. Really. Oh, really? Well, where's home? I've lived here in longest. So okay. So Lubbock's home. <laughs> right on, bro. Dude, we're well, glad you're here, man. Did you said Tanner? Yeah. Dude. Cody. Nice bro. to meet you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cody. All right, guys. Another 30 seconds or so. Jake, how was your weekend? Really, Portland. Also, I don't know if we've met, man. I'm late. Cody, nice to, nice to meet you. Blake, did y'all just meet or did y'all? Yeah. Yeah, I okay, on. right on, bro. Well, welcome. How'd you get connected to Redeemer? Man, I was walking the campus, and yeah. then I saw the tent. Oh yeah. I was, uh, church, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying. All so right, just, uh... <laughs> let's go, bro. Well, welcome, man. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. But Yeah, Portland was good though. Yeah, man. It was good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. yeah okay, man. great. Yeah. <laughs> it was really crazy. Okay. But it was like super fast. You know, like, yeah. Crazy. Quick in and out? Yeah. Did you fly? All right, we should probably get this thing going. What do you think? All right. Okay, guys, go ahead and take a seat. We're going to jump on in. Uh, If you hated that, so sorry. Um, Hopefully someone... Hopefully someone talked to you and you felt loved and known. We hope that you feel that way, especially if you're new here, we want to welcome you. Um, Maybe that wasn't the best way to welcome you, but in any case, we're glad that you're here. Okay, y'all. We are continuing our sermon series. So I say this uh, nearly every single time they get to teach, but thank you guys for being here. You guys could be anywhere in Lubbock, maybe the world, but you guys could be anywhere in Lubbock tonight and you guys chose to be here on a Tuesday night striving to know God and to grow in your faith with us together, and we're grateful, and so again, tonight we are continuing our sermon series seeking to answer a very important question, and that question is this. What is God like? What's he like? God, he has so many attributes that are unique to who he is, and with this series, we're seeking to study these attributes so that we can know God in a more true and full sense, and so, so far, we have talked about God being merciful, We have talked about God being holy, and tonight we are talking about God being forgiving. Forgiveness is a key element of who God is. And so whether you're new to church or not, forgiveness, it is a common idea used to describe what God is like and what God does. God is a God of forgiveness. Forgiveness and the God of forgiveness. The Bible, they tend to be synonymous with one another. One of my favorite passages of all of Scripture is Psalm 103. And in these first five verses, David, he paints this beautiful picture of what God is like, particularly in light of his forgiveness. And this is going to be up on the screen. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed Like the eagles. We see that this passage begins with David pleading with his own soul to bless God, to glorify God, and to hope in God. And this is primarily accomplished by David's call to himself to just not forget what God had done for him. David is recalling this beautiful um, heart posture that God has towards his people to forgive. Why? David is doing this because forgiveness is a part of who God is. Verse 3 says that God forgives all iniquity. This word iniquity can be swapped out with words like sin, transgression, and just the general sense of missing the mark of holiness that God has called us to. And it probably doesn't take much uh, for you to, excuse me, much to convince you guys that you at one point in your life have probably made a mistake at some point along the way. And if you're honest with yourself, believer in Jesus or not, I, you, we, all of us, we have not lived the life that we had probably hoped that we would have lived up until this point. I know that I have not. Because of this, because of our sin, because of our iniquity and our rebellion against God, we, all of us, collective humanity, we have amassed, each and every one of us, sin, iniquity, and everything that separates us from God, who is altogether perfect and sinless. Psalm 103, it paints this beautiful picture of being forgiven of your sins, your slates, being wiped clean, a new identity given to you that is wrapped in love and mercy. No more guilt, no more shame, no more holding on to mistakes and failures. But how do we get there? How do we receive this kind of forgiveness? And so, growing up, I was always a pretty like superstitious kid. I played baseball. We got any baseball players in here? Shout out, there's a few of us. If you've ever played baseball or you know anything about baseball players, we are incredibly superstitious, like wildly, you know, doing the whole the glove thing, you know, patting your body, you know, doing the whole deal just before, you know, strike out. It's great. You love it. But also, if you know my story, you know that growing up, I wasn't religious at all. I did not grow up in church. I did not know anything about Jesus. I did not believe in God. I had no, I had no idea anything about the Bible. And even still, Despite that, I grew up trying to be a generally good kid. I tried to obey my parents, listen to my teachers, get good grades, be you know, a semi-decent athlete, and I probably would have told you that I was a Christian. Why? Well, because I wasn't Jewish, because I wasn't Muslim, and I lived a generally spiritual, superstitious, karma-based, you know, everything-happens-for-a-reason kind of life. And just before coming to faith in Jesus, and at the peak of my, what I call, kind of general spiritual curiosity... And it was the year 2011, and I was a sophomore in high school. And 2011 and 2012 was a wild time of life, especially as a high schooler. In 2011, it felt like everywhere you looked, people were making jokes about the world ending in 2012. It was a, it was a crazy, you guys might not remember it, but I promise you, that's what it was like. From movies to TV shows, late night televangelists that I was weirdly into at the time, conspiracy theorists, conservative news networks, everyone was convinced that the world was ending in 2012. This is a real thing. And like, I know it might sound silly, but it's true. The movie 2012 is about the world ending by a massive flood, okay? Like, I remember watching that. And so in 2011, as a sophomore in high school, and again, at this peak of my general spirituality, hearing these murmurs about God coming back and the world ending in 2012, I began trying my best to get right with God, you know, whatever that even meant at the time. And I, I knew, though, that I had not lived a morally, Perfect life, I knew that I was living life far from God at the time I was consumed with all sorts of sin and rebellion, and my life was marked with iniquity. This was simultaneously my most rebellious time of my life, yet the most spiritually curious. later I, re- I learned romans three hundred twenty three which validated this idea. It says this it says "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and I felt that in my bones, Because I knew that I hadn't lived a good life or at least a good enough life, in the fall of 2011, I began to try my best to get right with God. And the slim chance these crazy people were right and that the world was ending and that heaven and hell were real, I wanted to make sure that I was good to go. I wanted that fire insurance card. I wasn't totally convinced that hell was real, but again, in the chance that it was, I knew that I wasn't trying to go there. So what began to happen is I began to try really hard to live this perfect life. I began to work really hard on myself to reach a point of just general acceptability before God. As a young athlete, I immediately viewed God as some sort of upset coach or disappointed dad in the sky, reinforcing this desire that already lived within me to just try to be enough, to do good enough to earn forgiveness from God. If I was just good enough, I'd earn a spot on God's team. I was trying to earn forgiveness from God based on what I could bring to the table. And many of us in this room tonight, we view God in this way. Even today, I myself have been walking with Jesus for over 10 years. I can slip back into thinking that this is how it works. this view, this trying to earn forgiveness from God, it is not biblical. You cannot do it. You can't do it. Sure, in 2011, I was generally spiritual, but I was completely wrong in who I thought God was. My understanding of forgiveness was not based in scripture, but based on my own experience in life, my understanding of God and his forgiveness was wrong. But in all of that, in all that I had gotten wrong, I was right about one thing, and that is that forgiveness is a life and death matter. Life and death hang in the balance of how we think about God and how we think about his forgiveness. In other words, how do we as sinful, broken people tap into these beautiful promises that we see being offered from God in Psalm 103? Forgiven, slate wiped clean, new identity, new life, new love. How do we get there? Because so much hinges on this important attribute of God, and because we can tend to import so many false ideas into our own understanding of what God is like and how we get this forgiveness, it is imperative that we look at Scripture and we see what God says about forgiveness himself. Each of us in this room tonight, we need God's forgiveness, but how do we get it? Maybe this is a bit of an oversimplification, but I, can, I think that there are three false views around God's forgiveness and how we can tend to attain it. There's probably more than that, but we're starting with three. False view number one, the earners. The earners. So this first group we'll call the earners. We already talked a little bit about this group, and this is my story, and this is how most of the world views their relationship with God and how to get this forgiveness. You gotta earn it. For most people in the world, minus maybe you know, mainstream Western secular culture, if I was to tell you, or if I was to tell someone, you know, just a general sample size of the whole world, that God exists and that he's perfect and that he is holy, they would agree. Even if maybe they didn't agree on exactly who God was, they would probably agree that he is holy and that he is sinless. Additionally, if you were to ask them, again, the majority of the world, if they've lived up to the standard that God requires in whatever holy book they're reading at the time, they would tell you, no, this is my story. Again, as a generally spiritual kid, uh, if, if God really existed, then he had to be perfect. He had to be sinless. And I also knew that, again, if God existed and he was perfect and he was sinless, that I had fallen short of this good life and that I needed forgiveness. And it's, again, instead of you know, trying to actually read my Bible and figure out what God is like, I just tried to earn it. I just tried to earn it. So for me, as a 16-year-old kid, it looked like trying not to cuss, Stop partying in high school, quit looking for relationships to fulfill me, on and on and on. I was just trying to earn God's love. And for most other world religions, earning forgiveness looks like trying your hardest to adhere to whatever holy book you ascribe to and hoping that if you are just sincere enough in your pursuit of God and his forgiveness, then maybe, just maybe, at the end of your life, God will forgive you for the earner there is no real assurance that you will ever actually attain true forgiveness on this side of death. There is no real assurance of eternal life to come. The main thrust of the earner is to just keep trying all of your life to just be good enough and maybe, just maybe, one day when you die, God will forgive you. Many of you, many of us, we think this currently or we thought this way In the past, and I'm right there with you. That's the first group, the earners. The second group, the deservers. Don't know if that's a real word, but we're going with it. The deservers. On the other side of this forgiveness conversation, again, opposite of the earners, you've got the deservers. This way of thinking about God's forgiveness has been primarily adopted um, by Western secular culture this kind of person would likely say something like sure god is real you know maybe he's real maybe he's not but if he is you know I, you know i know that maybe i haven't lived this you know the most perfect life but god knows my heart god knows my heart and he knows that i am a generally good person the deserver this type of person based on their own self description would say that because they are generally a good Person, you know, meaning haven't necessarily killed anyone, haven't lied that much, haven't given over too much to those, you know, intrusive thoughts, haven't slept around all the time or driven drunk. Because I'm a generally a good person, God will forgive me. This group of people would say, because I've lived a generally good life, I deserve to be a recipient of God's grace and God's forgiveness. God knows my heart. God knows my heart, and sure, I didn't live exactly how I knew I was supposed to live all the times, but I had the best intentions. This group of people believe that because they haven't done the worst of the worst, or maybe because they haven't done what other people have done, then they deserve salvation and forgiveness from God. But what if, what if walking with Jesus is not simply about not doing things? Let me say that again. What if walking with Jesus isn't simply about just not doing things? What if God is not simply calling us away from things, but into something truly better? The last category, the last false view, the indifferent, the indifferent. So these are people who just maybe don't care about receiving God's forgiveness. Maybe there's several reasons for this. You know, maybe they grew up not believing in God, like me, or maybe they, you know, just don't care about what God thinks of them because of past experiences within the church or with Christians, or maybe they uh, are just too consumed with the life that they're currently living to think deeply about the things of God. In early high school, I had a season of my life where I was this exact person. I lived a double life. I tried to be, you know, the good kid to my parents, teachers, coaches, you know, whoever. But at nearly every single turn, I was looking to relationships, substances, achievements, accomplishments to make me feel whole. To make me feel like I was becoming someone of value. I was wildly insecure and I would do anything for approval and validation. And in my pursuit of this fulfillment and meaning, approval, validation, I had absolutely no regard for God. I did not care whether he approved of me, disapproved of me. I did not care. You can put those three false views back up on the screen. I think in some ways and at different points of our lives, if we're being honest, followers of Jesus or not, we can tend to slip into into one of these three false views because of our life experiences, because of relationships, personality dispositions, our past, our current struggles because of all of this. Each of us, myself included, we can tend to drift towards being indifferent towards God and his forgiveness. We can tend to slip into this earner mentality or we can begin to believe that we just arbitrarily deserve God's forgiveness because we're a decent person. Believer in Jesus or not, this is us. It doesn't matter who you are. This is, the, this is who we are and this is what we can slip into. But each of these three false views, they lead us away from true forgiveness. But what then, what does scripture say about how to get forgiveness from God? Ephesians two paints such a clear picture for us tonight. Ephesians two, verses one through five and eight through nine say this, and you, it's all of us, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, living life like everybody else, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This passage is clear. This passage shows us exactly what it takes to receive God's love God's forgiveness and to experience life with the God of the universe. And Psalm 103 is saying the exact same thing. God says in Psalm 103 that he will forgive all of your iniquity. Does anyone in here feel like they are carrying guilt and shame from past mistakes you've made? God says that he will heal all of your diseases. Does anyone in here feel weighed down life. I know I can feel that all the time. God says that he will redeem our lives from the pit. I know there are people in here who feel like giving up. And finally, God's word says that he will crown us with steadfast love and mercy and satisfy us with good. I know there are people in here who are in desperate need of a new identity, a new life That is wrapped in love and forgiveness. And the entire point of the sermon is this. We receive forgiveness from God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm gonna say that again. We receive forgiveness from God because of Jesus and Jesus alone. God will not forgive your sin because you are a good person. God will not forgive your sin if you are indifferent towards him and God will not forgive your sin no matter how hard you try. Without Christ, God will not forgive your sin. Your sin is deserving of punishment and death and eternal separation from God and this punishment for sin will be enacted on us or on Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is that the story, it doesn't end with us just hearing about us deserving of our punishment, but because God is standing through Jesus willing and ready to forgive your sin, to cancel your debt, to wash you clean, to give you a new identity and call you into life-changing relationship with the God of the universe. Because God sent Christ the son to live the perfect life that all of us should have lived and know that we've fallen short of. Christ willingly went to the cross and took the sin and death and punishment that all of us deserve willingly upon himself. Christ was buried in death, but rose again from the grave three days later, defeating sin and death and everything that separates us from a holy God. And why did he do this? Why? Because he loves you. God loves you. Your sin, our sin, my sin, it requires punishment and payment, and Christ took it for us. Because he loves you. He did this because you are not a good person who deserves it and because you can never do anything to earn it, but because he loves you. Salvation from God, new identity in Jesus and eternity with God, it cannot be be attained by anything that you bring to the table. In order to receive this gift of grace from God, in order to get this new identity wrapped in love, to be set free from the payment, the punishment, and the power of sin in our lives, we must do only one thing, and that is place our faith in Jesus and push all of your chips to the center of his table. It doesn't matter how shaky that faith may feel in the moment. If you look to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, God will make you new. God will forgive you. God's word assures us of this promise. Romans 10, 9 through 11 says this. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Period. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says that everyone who believes in him, not everyone who works hard enough or tries to be a good enough person, it says that everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. If you have yet to turn from your sin to to give your life to Jesus, God's invitation for a new identity and new life is available right now. If you've yet to fully give yourself over to Jesus and to his life-changing, universe-altering way of life, there are people in this building at this very moment praying that you would trust in Jesus tonight, right now. There are people in this building praying for you. Remember, Life with Christ, it is not just about not doing things, but it's about entering into a relationship with the God of the universe who died so that you might live. And so maybe you're in here and maybe you are feeling something tugging on your heart. Maybe you're feeling the spirit of God pulling on your bones, pleading with you to turn from the life that you thought was gonna make you happy and to embrace Christ and to follow him. When you've made yourself in charge of your own life, has it gone the way that you would have planned? Christ's offer of life is on the table for you to believe and to receive by faith right now in the chair that you're sitting in. Maybe you've heard enough tonight to believe this story, but maybe you need to have a conversation with someone to take that next step with Jesus. God saved me over 10 years ago through a conversation that I had with someone at my church because I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know what it meant to turn from my sins, to believe in Jesus. I heard the gospel. I felt like God was pulling on my heart, and so I had a conversation with someone, and maybe that is you tonight. Again, we do this every week, but we will have men and women in the back, willing, ready to have a conversation with you tonight about whatever, Jesus included. If God is moving in your heart tonight, believe in him. Put your yes on the table to following the Savior who died for you. This gospel about the forgiveness from God that we get through Christ, it cannot be earned and it is not deserved. It is only something to be believed in and to be received by faith and then to be embraced as a way of life. John 7:36, excuse me, John 7:37 through 38 says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Christ has done it all. Jesus has done it all. So come and drink and receive what God has for us. Walking with Jesus, it is about more than just mentally assenting to some theological truths, but walking, truly walking with God, life with Jesus, is about letting God invade every aspect of your personhood and submitting to the way of life that Jesus has set out for us in his word. John Mark Comer writes this, contrary to what many assume, Jesus did not invite people to convert to Christianity, or in other words, to just agree with some theological truths. He, Jesus, invited people to apprentice under him or to follow him into a whole new way of living to be transformed. Transformation is possible if we are willing to arrange our lives around the practices, rhythms, and truths that Jesus himself did, which will open our lives to God's power to change. We can be transformed if we are willing to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. Then and only then can we, that's you in this room, it's us tonight, only then can we become the people that we ache to be and live the lives that we were destined for. Forgiveness, yes, but life with Jesus buys us so much more than forgiveness. It buys us a way of life that transforms everything about how you view this world. For believers in the room, for the person who has trusted in Jesus, who has that new identity as a son or daughter of God, who has been a recipient of the forgiveness of God, because of Christ, this same gospel that saves your soul is the same gospel that maintains your faith through your entire life. John Piper says that followers of Christ never outgrow our need for the gospel. Followers of Jesus, we never outgrow our need to hear what we have talked about tonight. The same Savior who offers living water to those who've never tasted it is the exact same Savior who offers it to those of us who forget its value day after day after day. Believer, follower of Jesus in the room. We, like David, in Psalm 103, we forget the benefits of a life lived near Jesus, don't we? Christian, believer, God has forgiven us. He's forgiven us. You, through Christ, of every sin that we will ever commit. He has called us into intimate fellowship with himself through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he has given us eternal promises rooted in the love of the Father. How could we forget this? But we do. The Christian life it is best lived looking back at what Jesus has done and eyes fixed ahead on all that God has for us. So follower of Jesus in the room, and I'm addressing myself right now in this moment, what false promises of life and living water do we need to set aside to remember all that God has done for us in Jesus? Christ says that he offers us true and living water. What false waters do we need to set aside to return to the God who loves us? So no matter who you are, no matter where you're at in your relationship with Jesus, where you're at with your walk with Christ, this call tonight, the response is simple. The application is simple. Turn to Jesus, turn to Jesus. No matter what you believe about receiving forgiveness from God, you have heard all of us tonight in God's word that forgiveness, it's simple. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and begin this life-changing new life with the God who loves you. Whether you're a leader in the college ministry, whether you're a staff member in the back, or maybe you're just skeptical of all of this, what could it look like for you tonight to take a step towards Jesus? I wanna leave you with one of my absolute favorite passages of scripture. It comes from Hebrews 11, verse six, and it says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God wants to forgive you. God wants you to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. God wants you to let go of the the sin and the struggle and the things that promise life but only lead to death. He wants you to let go, not because he just wants you to stop doing things, but because he has something so much better for you in store. God is waiting tonight to reward you, as Hebrews 11 says, with more of himself, we must only seek him by faith. And so before we sing a few more songs, I want to put Psalm 103 back up on the screen and read this over us. Let these words inform your worship. So do whatever you need to do, whether it's sit there and just listen or read along, whatever you need to do, just absorb these words from scripture. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like The eagles. Follower of Jesus, this is your story. Worship God in light of these truths. And again, if you have yet to enter into this kind of personal, intimate relationship and walk with God, it is on the table tonight. Christ purchased a new life, new identity for you. All you need to do is turn to Him in faith. So believe in Jesus tonight. Pray with someone in the back. Talk to someone that you came with. Whatever you need to do, just do not leave here without giving yourself over to the love that God has for us in Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, just uh, just so grateful. Grateful for your word, grateful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, wooing and calling Tonight, God, um, I believe that you are calling students tonight who have yet to believe in you to give themselves over to you and, and the life that you have to offer. God, I believe that you're calling students tonight to, to worship you and to follow you for the first time. So God, I pray that you would remove whatever distraction, whatever hindrance, whatever roadblock is in the way to faith in you. And if they need to have a conversation with someone, to pray with someone in the back, to just have someone listen to them, God, I pray that you would stir up faith in their heart to do that, to go and to have that conversation. God, you have so much for us. Life with you is not just about not doing things, God, but you've given us a path to freedom, to wholeness, to a new identity, to love. God, you've given us everything that we need, God. Help us respond in worship, to the truths that you have given us tonight in Scripture. God, we love you. God, we need you. Help us to worship and sing with all that we have. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.